This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, Sean Kipe here. This bonus episode of In the Red Clay is not going to sound like what you're used to hearing in this podcast. It's really just Stony Burt and myself chatting and catching you all up on what's happened since the last episode of season two. Since then, Stony has learned some interesting information about his father's alleged role in the Durham family homicides in Boone, North Carolina back in 1972. I recommend you start by re-listening to season two for this all to make sense, and I'll pop in from time to time to help clarify where needed. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Sean Kipe. From Imperative Entertainment, this is In the Red Clay. So I wanted to take an opportunity to kind of give the the listeners and the fans of In the Red Clay and this, you know, entire two seasons of the series, people that have followed along very closely with not only your story and your father's story in season one with the Durham murders in North Carolina in season two, uh, but also your distillery. And in season one, you know, when I met you, you were building this distillery and really just trying to get it launched and get it off the ground, you and your son Stone. And at the end of that season, it was kind of perfect timing because it had officially opened and and did really well you had a lot of success with that season two and sort of the time in between those two seasons things changed and we discussed in season two you know you having legal troubles and and a big altercation with the building owners uh, at the distillery and so things have changed now and you've moved on and I don't think a lot of the audience knows about that. So tell me where we are right now and, and how this building that we're in even came to be. Here's where we are, Sean. Um, when I said I'm moving on, I meant it. The distillery has took so much out of our quality of our lives, not to mention money. My son has been having to operate heavy equipment, which he loves doing. That's the only thing you can do, make decent enough money to put yourself out of a hole that we have got ourselves into. So, the distillery is over. I've informed my lawyer to negotiate a deal to walk away. Give me all back, everything in there that's mine. Forgive and forget and move on. I won't be burning down no houses. I won't be threatening to burning down houses, contrary to popular belief. I want my life back. So the distillery is over, and it seems that just I heard this morning, they feel the same way. Sure they do. They get that damn building back after now that it's viable. And I'm not going to waste any more time worrying about it. It's called spilt milk, and I was taught to clean up spilt milk and move on, because you can do nothing about spilt milk. Right. So where are we now, though? Right now, I'm here at Sugar Hill Distillery. And this owner made me an offer, son, until you get your stuff straight, you have the keys to my place, because I don't make whiskey here, 
much. I'm more into beer. Make your product. Get it on the shelves. Say your stuff. Yeah, and this place is is awesome. I mean, I to me, I loved the the dis, the distillery that you built with stone had so much charm and character, and it had a connection to your father because he robbed that building a couple times you know, in the seventies, and that was obviously and understandably special to you guys. But this place is more what I think people would expect. It's got the restaurant and it's, it's nice and clean. And, you know, we're sitting back here in the, in the, with the stills and you got all these big shiny steel, uh, stills back here. And it's just kind of more a, a professional operation. Um, and it's been good because I mean, since you moved here a couple months ago, eight months ago, people, uh, you know, we did, and we did a, uh, official launch. That's another thing that's changed is rock solid is no more true what is it now red clay should have been red clay to start with rock solid was just there you know i wrote my first i didn't write my first book i put together my first pile of stories that me and my father and my son talked about every week and called it rock solid because we considered him rock solid gangster could rise he, he stayed solid okay that's where rock solid come from letter and Georgia's Dixie Mafia, because there's a mafia everywhere you go. But Georgia's Dixie Mafia is unique. It was the first, and it is the original, and in my opinion, it's most interesting because, let's face it, 15 years of a good run is pretty damn impressive for corn, what do they call them, cornbread rednecks? Cornbread rednecks? Whatever. Uh, pretty good run for them boys to keep rubbing two nickels together my quarter. Yeah. And I was just fortunate enough, and I call it fortunate, I, I still do, to be a kid raised in that without picking up the side effects of harming anyone or taking what ain't mine. I don't count the armed robberies and stuff I've done trying to be my daddy. They were <laughs> businesses insured, like I was trained told. So I always do it from a business with insurance. Don't never get a man. You see what I'm saying. Stoney, that, that's a really good quote. Um, I don't count the armed robberies. Um, but, but Red Clay now is the official brand of whiskey. It's been rebranded. Same, same whiskey, same recipe that your family's used for since exactly. pre-civil war we don't know no other but it's it's red clay and you can't make them up yeah and the idea now is to and, and you're working on getting this in liquor stores and in bars and distributed that's that's the plan right we just got an order for 1,000 bottles of whiskey and 2,000 1,000 bottles of each of the brandies so yeah I say and I've been that's why I stay here six months without telling anyone I've been busting my butt you know it takes a hell of a lot to process peaches and apples, ferment them, distill them over and over. You have to live it, breathe it like a golf game. You got to think about it on your home, think about it where you're sleeping. Nothing, it takes your life over. So since we last seen each other, except for that event, August 4th through 6th, 7th, I've been here every day except Sunday, every day making the whiskey, the brandies. I got it whipped. I got the order up. And that's another thing. I mean, I kind of mentioned it briefly, and you you mentioned it just now, but the event we did here at Sugar Hill Distillery to relaunch your whiskey brand and to officially launch Red Clay 
as a whiskey brand was such a success. I mean, I, it was amazing because, you know, we came here and, and had songwriters come down from Nashville and, you know, that had written songs inspired by the podcast and your, and your story and your father's story. And hundreds of people showed up. I mean, there was a line for- It blew me away. Yeah, it was crazy. There's a line for people, you know, wanting to get pictures with you. I'm still in awe that day. Uh, I could not believe that all those good, decent people come from wherever and stood in that hot line just to be able to have a little camaraderie, take a picture, and conversate with me for a few minutes. That's humbling. I don't care who you are. I don't give a damn what you think of yourself. If that don't get you, boy, if it don't bring you down to earth, you ain't human. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing that people, I, I had so many people telling me that day and thanking me for doing this project and thank you, thanking me for telling your story and, and working with you to tell your story and how hearing how it had affected so many different people in, in so many ways on pretty, pretty deep levels, you know, their relationships with their families, with their kids, with their parents, um, man, that was yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you have to be in all of that. But so the reason that we're here today and have microphones on is because since the end of the second season of the podcast, which profiles the Durham triple homicide in Boone, North Carolina, Watauga County, you know, the first time that I interviewed you for season one, I, it was one of the first times I interviewed you and we met at the distillery that you were just building and a bunch of sheriffs from North Carolina came up. Do you remember that? And I think there was a GBI agent. Sure. They were asking you a bunch of questions uh, about had your father ever committed murders in North Carolina and they were really wouldn't give any details and wouldn't mention names, never mention the name Durham. Um, and we didn't really know what that was about. But luckily, you know, I was there to, to record that conversation. And two years later, it would come back and we, we hear about this case being closed, this 50-year-old cold case being closed by the Watauga County Sheriff. And it made national news. I mean, it was, you know, Fox News and ABC. And I mean, just it went everywhere. CNN reported on it. Not on my feet. <laughs> you and me First both. time I have been that surprised since... Uh, I mean, it was right up there. We're here. My father got another death sentence. That's how it affected me. And I mean, I think you even, uh, you were even interviewed by USA Today, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yes, it was big. And of course, so many people were reaching out and we kind of felt like that, that was the whole reason for season two was let's talk about this because you had pretty strong feelings then and you still do about your father's alleged involvement in that murder. And, you know, to, to kind of remind people what happened, I mean, this family, uh, you know, mother, father, and 18-year-old son were murdered in their homes. It was very brutal. They were strangled, tortured, and drowned in the bathtub. And that crime, that murder, has sort of been a stain on that town for 50 years. And so closing that was a big deal. Billy Wayne Davis, who has since passed away on Christmas Day of, I think, 2020, 2022, the 
Yeah. Yes, 2022. Yeah. Christmas Day, he passed away. Before Almost that, anniversary, 50 anniversary of them. Right, when, right. When I say them, that sure. poor Rins couple, I don't want to say them, that's so different. But Mr. and Miss Fleming. So he was interviewed by Watauga County sheriffs and the SBI, which is kind of like the North Carolina version of the GBI, right? As well as Bob Ingram, who I interviewed in the first season. He was one of the guys who was involved in, in investigating that Fleming murder case. And they get a confession out of Davis saying that he, along with your father and two others, were responsible for that murder in Boone, North Carolina in 1972. When you, you say they, who do you mean? Billy Wayne Davis. I mean, who do you mean got the confession? Well, this, as, as what we've learned from okay. the news is okay. Bob Ingram and the Watauga County Sheriff's Department. You have an issue with how that all went down. Um, you were kind of vocal about that in the second season. What, what is your issue with that um, confession and why are you so adamant still that your father had nothing to do with that murder? Listen. I don't want to keep you here until this time next week. So I'll keep it short. Bill Wayne Davis knew nothing. He told him for six months that he knew nothing after they left my distillery in 2019. Bob Ingram says, well, let me talk to him because I can talk to anybody. You heard him say it. If you go back and listen to I think it's season five of it, of Durham, second season. Uh, you hear Bob Ingram say. Yeah, episode five? I think so. Four or five. You hear him say, here's how he done it. Now, he covered his butt when he said this. He said, I just sat there and I just started telling him every detail of the Ringe murder. And then I went on into the Durham's. And when I got through, he said, now you've done your homework while you're here. And I said, were you driving the car the same way at the Rins? And he looked at me and I told him, I can tell the parole board you cooperated or not. And he said, I was driving. And yes, it was the same. So Bob takes off of that, goes back and tells the sheriff. The sheriff goes and visits Davis and David cooperates it. No, not the first time, right? Not the first time. I'm no. talking about the second time the sheriff went yeah. back after Bob went and done his magic. Right, but Davis concurred. Right, but let, let's some some clarity here because Bob got a confession allegedly from Davis. Using went, his superpowers, right. yes, sir. <laughs> went to the uh by his own mouth he offered him parole right but then went to the watauga county sheriffs they went and spoke with davis and he said no the first time right he he, he said no adamantly for three times they wouldn't seen him before bob ingram right now after bob ingram come back told them that he got a confession they went back to see davis the next month davis said yeah yeah i was driving they done it because they had a deal here stoney's talking about the fact that Watauga County, North Carolina sheriffs visited Billy Wayne Davis in prison to question him about the Durham murders, to which Davis denied any role in. Then, Bob Ingram visited with Davis and solicited a confession. 
When Watauga County went back to see Davis again, he seemed to again confess, but the sheriff wasn't satisfied, and for a third time visited Davis. This time, he once again said he was not involved in the murders, but the sheriff closed the case anyway. All of those interviews with Davis were recorded, but have yet to be released to the public by Ingram or Watauga County Sheriff Len Hageman. Stoney had arranged to meet with Davis himself, but one week before that scheduled meeting, Davis died in prison on Christmas Day, 2022. When that happened, I immediately, my, me and three others, including yourself, went to ask him for the tapes they said they couldn't release until Davis died. Right, and, I think, and the tapes that you're talking about are the interview, the recorded interviews. The four interviews. Between Bob Ingram and Davis. Davis. And also the recorded interviews of the sheriff's department in Watauga County. Three of them with Sheriff Wong Bob. So those are the those are the interviews that you're talking about. And yeah, we went back and we said, hey, because I was actually told in an interview with the sheriff that, like you said, I can't give those out uh, while he's alive. Then he died, and I went and said, hey, what about now? As well as some other people, can we hear those interviews? And they said, we don't have them. And Bob Ingram said, uh, I gave them to the sheriff's department. I don't have <laughs> So what do you make of that? Well, it's called bullshit. Excuse me. Can you say that? Bullshit. Bullshit. Now, the hometown writer there, Terry Harmon, who's become a friend of mine. Terry Harmon is a local historian from Boone, North Carolina, who I interviewed in season two. Even then, he raised questions about the validity of Davis's confession and Billy Burt's role in the murders. He's been investigating the case for a book he's writing. Terry has been making the same request, and the sheriff told him he's thinking about it all this time. Something stinks, high heaven, because after he told so many people, can't do it till after Davis dies. And then Davis dies, I'm thinking about it, as if he's still investigating. <laughs> and then goes on further to say, I ain't got him. And then just last month, do a, some kind of thing called Blue Ridge Runs Red in some, some newscast I've seen. It showed Bob Ingram putting the damn tape of Davis in there and playing it for him. Just like when he, in the Shane interviews that we have now, we have the four Shane interviews. The sheriff released those. I guess he said, well, I'll release the Shane interviews. That'll quiet them down. All that does piss me off because the first three interviews, Shane knew nothing except tells a Bigfoot. Stoney's talking here about his youngest brother, Shane, who provided information to Bob Ingram through a series of interviews about his father's role in the Durham murders. Though Stoney feels it may be the other way around, with Ingram providing the information to Shane. And the last one, when Bob brought him back in, lo and behold, he must have had a vision from God because he knew their names, the inside of the house, the cars they drove, the son-in-law, the whole shaboom. And that's what Bob took to the sheriff and said, damn, Davis, we don't need him because we got his son telling all the details. And the sheriff took it on himself to circumvent the DA, the grand jury due process, and just announced Case solved and closed. That's the first I've ever heard of that. Even Joe Chapman, when he closed the case of Dawes that me and you first done, he went to the DA who went to the officials. They run it through the circles, found the validity of it to be true, and together done it. Not Bob Ingram. It just, it just sucks. So I'm here to straighten it out. Irrefutable.
That's why we're here. So uh, we're gonna go to a commercial. When we come back, we're gonna talk about what you've learned since the end of season two of the podcast. We'll be back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I'm sitting here talking with Stony Burt once again, and we are discussing the Durham murder case again from Boone, North Carolina, which of course was closed officially in February of 2022. Since the end of that podcast, the second season of the podcast that we did, you have learned some new information. You've stood uh, very firm on believing the fact that your father was not involved in that murder in Boone, North Carolina. Yes, sir. My common sense was talking at that point. And what is it now that's talking? Damn facts. And it was there all along. I had just forgotten it and misplaced it. So tell me, tell me about that then. You go back and listen to episode 13 of season one. You will hear me call you and say, Sean, I'm ready to talk about my mother. Yeah. And then you'll hear me tell you that my mother when I got out of prison, was going with Harry Chance in December 79, and it didn't go over well with me. You hear me tell you that? Yeah. You hear me tell you that the first visit me and her went to see my father after I got out, she spoke up and bragged about looking out the window, my bedroom window, by the way, that she was looking out, and seen him blow Charlie Martin's head off. And I called his name right there in your podcast. Right. I remember. Now... <laughs> That was on a Thursday night, February the 3rd. Reese, not our lounge owner, says, Billy, you see Charlie? Yeah, you need to take care of him as soon as Papa. That's what I said. I'm repeating myself of what we said on episode 13. And, and we, you and I talked about this off the record well before you even called me and said, I'm ready to talk about my, my mother. Yeah, but I didn't relate that. While all this is going on with unit, that didn't come back to me. Yeah. That didn't come back to me because I'm human. And let's face it, Sean, my mind has got so many memories. I can't pull it up like a computer, but boy, when it hits, now it hits. Right. Now, you heard me say, we're sitting in the visitor room, Sean, and my mother speaks up and tells my dad that she watched him blow Charlie's head off. She didn't know it was Charlie. And my dad looked at her and said, I'll be down. Are you? And my, my mother, with the rest of him, he looked at me. He said, damn. What about that? How in the hell she do that? My mother was bragging about her, I guess, being rock solid. That's another part of my 22-year-old uh, uh, past that I've had to come to terms with. And when you say bragging, she was bragging to your father dad. in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. She, she, she forgot. I wasn't thinking about what it was. What I was hearing. 
Yeah. You see, people do that. If I'm talking to you and I'm trying to impress you, all you and uh, and a bystander, a visitor sitting right here beside us, I don't necessarily consider what he's thinking. Makes no difference to me. I'm trying to make my point with you. But that's the way it was. What she didn't understand was she already knew that I knew about Harold. She come to me trying to explain it to me. Son, I just I need to talk to you, Mom. I, I really I really don't want to talk about it. But son, I, I love Mom. Please don't be. Damn it, Mom. He, he killed. He, he hired Dad to kill over thirty damn people. He just had burned up five kids. I know it was an accident. He was cocaine out of his damn head. But damn it, Mama. Can't you pick somebody worth a damn? That was mine and her relationship. And after that show, it went downhill to the point where finally I just couldn't be around her because she got worse and worse with her. I don't know how to put it with her. I don't know words like narcissism, all that stuff. If people talk about, I just do know when somebody ain't real. My mother's not real. My dad is real. Everything he done with done with his eyes wide open. He never excused himself. I got a paper showing where he was sitting in his damn prison cell and they raided it. And when you raid a prison cell and you got more than the right amount of letters or pictures, they sent it all home. So I got everything in his prison cell from 1989, I believe it was. And one of the things that I got in the mail was this Atlanta newspaper and it showed every man on death row, Atlanta Constitution. Well, what's this doing in here? And then I wrote at the top of it. I got it right here. He says, all these some bitches want to claim they were poor. They were abused, blah, blah. Why don't they just tell, uh, just like me, just mean as hell, done what they done. Damn, everybody want to have an excuse. Well, that was my dad. He didn't believe in excuses. He done what he done with his eyes wide open. He was never... Nothing to blame. He had to pay the price. He knew it. He's made his maker. That's the difference between my dad and my mother. My dad had regrets shown. He didn't lose sleep. They didn't have to put him with a psychiatrist. He grieved over the ones he killed for kingpins. Looking back, he shouldn't have. He didn't grieve over snitches. He would have done it again the day before he died, even though he was saved. If it was a snitch, he'd do it for nothing. That was my dad. He was honest in his brutality. Okay. But so let's talk then about going back to the Durham case. And Let Charlie me calm Martin. down now. I'm getting sideways. <laughs> I'm getting sideways here. You do. You, you have a tendency to do that. Okay. I'm, 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 um, I'm leveling back down. Yeah. So you learned information. You know, we, we came out with the second season. You were adamant that your father was not involved in that for many reasons. Uh, this, the way this murder was played out is not how he would have done it. I think, and, and you're not the only one, by the way, you mentioned Terry Harmon, who is a local historian in Boone. He has serious questions. And actually, I think at this point, it's safe to say, does not believe your dad had anything to do with this. Um, I can't put words in his mouth, but that's what I think. Yeah. Or he certainly has big, uh, uh, put it this way. You know, I told you. If we got through. If you ever lose your day job, son, going to therapy for what you've done for him, I told him, Terry, if you ever lose your job, go into investigation because you're pretty damn good, man. Because he is undercover some stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and let's talk about that because that's why we're here, right? In this, this episode, you tell me the, tell me about the information that you learned regarding your father and Charlie Martin that relates to the Durham murder case and why you say your father not only wasn't, but couldn't have been involved in that. Okay. To tell you that, I got to briefly tell you this. The reason we done episode 13 is that my brother and my mother, uh, Shane, was so jealous and for no other reason than what I call Cain Abel jealous. They were so jealous of the podcast that we done and my books that I wrote and did not mention my brothers or my sister. I'd done it because I knew if I'd mentioned the name, they'd sue me. And I also done it out of respect because my dad always said, if you can't say nothing good, just don't say nothing at all, son. So I purposely left that out like I told you not to use my mother's name. It ain't good enough. Shane come to my distillery. We're writing a book, me and mom, about the truth of dead. I said, define truth. Well, let me put it this way. Daddy's your hero. Mama's mine. Why they got to be a hero, Shane? Uh, what are you saying? So he gave me one page to look at. And I read that one page, and it was so far in Mars, like she was 11 when he married her, and he left her with $30, and she uh, worked five jobs and uh, had to walk uphill both ways in the snow. And, uh, and on and on and on. And I said, uh, Shane, let me tell you something. And you tell mom, if y'all want to write a book praising mom to high heaven, I'm all for it. Just don't get my opinion on it. But you're not going to write a book building her up, stepping on him. Don't do that away. I'll put a stop to it. And you won't like the way I do it. Well, he told me, go to hell. And I called you up. I said, Sean, I'm ready to talk about my mother. So when I told you, about her telling my dad she watched him blow Charlie Martin's head off and I told the world that she was going with Harold Chancey and taking my brothers and sisters, I stopped. That's enough. So the question was, you learned information about your father's involvement in, in Charlie Martin's death. And tell me about that and why that in your eyes, makes it impossible for your father to have been involved in the Durham murders? I learned by going back to my original book that I put together in 2013, page 168, 169, that Charlie Martin was abducted from Reese Spencer's Night Out Lounge on February the 3rd, a Thursday night. It was never seen again. I already knew this i had forgotten it. It, I, it i'm human and the way and they're not smart enough they ain't gonna sit here and take credit for remembering it i got a text from a guy named terry Harmon, who's a just a just a epitome of a mayberry good citizen right there in boone and he's been writing the book on the murder because it's fascinating me his whole life and he's come down here and seen me a couple of times. I think he's seen about everybody involved. You, the, the, the Wrens family, and everybody likes him. And I think everybody that meets him trusts him. He's a man of integrity, I can tell you that. He texted me and he said, Stoney, have you seen this? And he showed me a picture of Charlie Martin's tombstone. And he went on to say, 
His wife has confirmed that February the 3rd is the day he went missing. Charlie Martin. Charlie Martin. Charlie Martin's widow has confirmed it. She's still living. And I said this to him. I said, son of a B, Terry. <laughs> you know, now I remember. I told about it in my damn podcast. And I wrote about it in my book. Let me go back. He said, oh, you don't have to. It's on page 168, 169. I've done done it. So Terry being able to look objectively without emotion had already nailed what I should have gotten the first month. But here it is eight months later and I'm having Terry tell me. So I'll forever be in all of his investigative skills. Uh, so to put it very plainly, Charlie Martin was killed by your father on February 3rd, 1972, the same night that the Durham murders were committed. And, you know, that's a yes. five-hour drive yes. from... I mean, I want to I set the stage a little bit because that's from from the Winder area. That's that's a good five-hour drive. Keep in mind that what happened that on a Thursday night... See, Rich Best was open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Thursday was a dead night. Perfect time for him to say, Charlie, my car won't... My cyclone won't crank. How about give me a ride to Statham, which he did. So... Keep in mind, I had to be between 10 and 1 because Reese opened at 9 and closed at 1. Well, the murders happened between 10 and 1, didn't they? Oh, I think the, the Durham murders uh, was around between 9.30 and 10 o'clock. Okay, well, it's a, a possibility. But it's not just that. It goes on in the Jim West report and the newspapers say the following Friday night, the 11th, he got Carolyn Cooper for the same reason. And reasons shown in Jim West's report right here, she was selling information. Her brother Jim Baird was. So that is a given. We're going to go to a commercial and uh, we'll talk more about this when we come back. So, Stoney, we've talked about the fact that Charlie Martin was killed on the night of February 3rd, 1972, the same night that the Durham murders, uh, murders were committed uh, a five-hour drive away in Boone, North Carolina. And, of course, that night, horrible weather, snowstorm, blizzard conditions. So, potentially even making that a longer drive than the normal five hours because I, I've done the drive and, you know, you have to go through the mountains. So, um, getting to there from the winder area is going to be a long drive. If you were to commit then a murder, which is seemingly happening at the same time or in the same time frame, roughly that Charlie Martin's murder was being committed in. And then you'd have to drive, you know, you know, I, I guess my point is, even you're assuming if it, it's on an assembly line or your time frame, well, it I, takes I, well, preparation for a murder. Sure. And I'm just, I'm just saying this had to be put in the well fast. I'm just saying. Well, it was dynamited. I'm just saying for the, to tr if someone is to make the argument that okay, well, he could have been a part of both murders. I think even I, I think that's impossible. Number one, because of the the distance, the preparation, as you mentioned, the weather was a factor, and it, disposed of Charlie's body. It, 
Yeah, if you were, if he was in a whale dynamited. Yeah, in another county, on the same night. Yes. Yeah. Well, hell yes. You damn sure don't. You damn sure don't kill somebody and then wait two three days for them to stop you with a damn body in the trunk. You know, you get into where you, and that night was spontaneous because Reese said, "You see, Reese was like Reese. He had people calling him, and when Reese got the call that Charlie Martin, when he was cooperating with police officers." He immediately told Daddy because he knew that Charlie knew shit. And Reese didn't hire Daddy to do it. He just told Daddy, you need to get rid of him. Now, Reese didn't have him killed. Understand that. He didn't say, do this for me. He was the messenger. He just said, you need to take care of that. So let me ask you this. What kind of information would Charlie Martin have had that would... Well, according to Jim West's report, Charlie Martin was set to meet him and Howard Austin that very night in Arcade to give them information on whiskey stills and information on where Willie Hester, his cousin, was buried. Right. Which, of course, was killed by your father. In 71. Yeah. And, and you was showed, found in 79, 78. And you showed me the, the Jim West report, which, you know, I knew about that. I was aware of that from the time that we met, really, and started season one. But you would never let me read it. Because I, for whatever reason, you said it's I wasn't. Too, it's so awful. All the murders are so awful. Yeah. And even when you showed it to me when we did season two, you let me read that entire report, which I did front to back, but you wouldn't let me even take a copy of it. No. Um, it's too awful. Yeah. And it does. I mean, it lays out in chronological order. I, I, there were a couple little clips. From Jim West's point of view, the harshest point of view they are. True. No way and, I'm and that, that was directly written after an interview, well, it, with, with, with He was Davis. in the Barry County Jail. John Robert Austin was the sheriff. Jim West had Billy Wayne Davis there, offered him immunity after my dad's bank robbery got turned over. St. Davis, one of us is going to die. For, I don't know whose family is going to get first. You've got to do something to put Billy Bird away. If you will put him away on one of these murders, you'll get immunity. Everything you tell me will be immunity. This is that report, Davis and West talking, and John Roberts, not her secretary, but what do you call that woman with that thing in her mouth talking? Stenographer? What, what is it? Court court recorder? That, stenographer? Yes. John Roberts, stenographer. That's that report. <laughs> That's the report. It is done like that. The words are exact. Yeah. Done by John Roberts, the sheriff's stenographer. Well, and there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I read the report, and it's it's I thorough. I read the report to the yeah. letter in Shane's interview. Did you remember yeah. that? Yeah. So the reality is, and I guess to put this in in the most simple terms possible, Reese Spencer relayed the message that he received from Ruth Chancy. No, that- from his own snitch. Reese Spencer had had way more money than Ruth. He wasn't in whiskey. Reese was in business. He had slot machines, pool tables. The man was a genius. He did not kill people. What my dad done for him is their business, but he did not hire my dad to kill Charlie Martin. He just simply told my dad, it just come to me from my source. Charlie is working with the law. I know Charlie is in with you on some things. You need to take care of him as soon as Daddy said, how soon? He said, as soon as possible. Immediately. That's a Charlie. My cyclone won't crank when you give me a ride home. So Reese relays a message to your dad that Thursday, uh, February 3rd, 1972. Charlie Martin needs to be dealt with, in his words. 
and and your father does that night, which we know now that it's been confirmed by Charlie Martin's widow that he was killed the night of February third. Yes, your father put him in a well that night in and Gwinnett dynamited County. it. Mm-hmm. Where in Gwinnett County? In Gwinnett County, and dynamited it. And simultaneously, in that same few hours, roughly between nine thirty and ten ten thirty, uh, has been narrowed down to. In Boone, North Carolina, five hours away, give or Troy take. Troy Hall was killing them people at that exact time. Yeah, Troy Hall was doing that himself. He didn't hire Jack Doodley. He didn't have to. Turn, I thought about it. He hired no one. That would not have stayed a secret. Nobody's that smart. Look, my, my father's order, little organization, as smart as they come. In no way that would have stayed. Troy Hall done it. The phone call tells it all. He had to make up a phone call to give himself an alibi where he was. And then because of any experience of law enforcement, they went far. But even Bob Ingram said it. That's preposterous. Everybody of today's law enforcement says Troy Hall did it. He did. He was 19 year old. That's when you're the most deadly. The man just had wrote him out of the wheel. He had to get that wheel. To think that for that day that he heard he's written out of the wheel, he could contact Billy Bird of all people and have him down there immediately to take care of that for him and with no and, money, and, with no money and not get killed his damn self for messing with a man like that is ludicrous. What's more ludicrous is my dad would tell my young baby brother that he felt so badly about my mother treating him like she did. Uh, coddling, you see, and not making him grow up. <laughs> For him to be telling my brother about such an awful murder is unimaginable. And so you and I met here with a Watauga County uh, Sheriff's Carolyn Deputy or Johnson. Investigator, Carolyn Johnson, and you told this information to her. I was here for that. But she told me the sheriff was coming. That's why I was here. Yeah, I was here for that conversation, and you presented this evidence, everything in the Jim West report, uh, what the widow confirmed, gave her a copy of everything. And she did say, and if I can pull it up, I'll play a clip of it. She did say uh, it's very interesting. It's very compelling. And and it does need to be looked into. She was going to pass that information on to the sheriff. Has the sheriff contacted you or made any statement uh, regarding the information that he was given? No, the next time I, all along, I held out on the grounds that I want my conscience clean. I don't want to down a good lawman. I believe he was due until I seen him on River Runs, Blood Runs Red and Blue Ridge. When I seen him grandstanding on there, I now have a very low opinion of the sheriff. I want him to know that. I know now that just like a lot of people in his town does, I've heard from him, know that he's human. He wants notoriety. He wants to be reelected. He wants to be the man who solved the crime. I now know that he has traded his integrity for notoriety. Well, let's talk about then you took that information to another sheriff. Two sheriffs. Okay. Tell me about that and tell me tell me about what the response was and where that information, you know, what's what's the situation now? What's is that information being looked at seriously? Well, hell yes, it's look, been looked at seriously. Who did you I, I take went, that to? First, I went to the Winder Sheriff, the one who was sheriff then. And he said, this is a no-brainer. You should take this to Jackson County Sheriff because that's where he's from. She's, she's the one. 
and she cares that's, about it. That's who Jazz Magnum. That's where uh, Charlie, Charlie Martin, Martin lives. From. That's where he's buried. I took it to her. Well, I called her. I said, Janice, me and her know each other. We're not friends. We close acquaintances. We like each other. She knows I'm not a criminal. I know she's a good sheriff. I respect her. And that's it. I said, Janice, would you uh, like to close two murder cases in your county? She said, who is it? And I said, Charlie Martin and Carolyn Cooper. She said, I most certainly would because Charlie Martin is a, uh, I'm a friend with either his widow or one of his people. I forget. You know how butcher words. <sighs> Come Monday, bring what you got. So I went down there and I showed her everything. Everything. And she took it all. And she said, okay, I'm going to get with the DA and I'm going to get with the GBI and get clarification on all this. And uh, thank you. And I left. And that was four weeks ago. And uh, then she called the Monroe Sheriff and talked to him about it. And he said, yeah, he, he was pretty straight with me on the, on the, on the Dawes murder. And, uh, and he told her how he went about closing it. Get with the DA, grand jury, all that. Look at the information they gave him compared to what was there. So that's where it's at. So when you call her, I hope it's finished. Well, I spoke with her and here's a little bit of that conversation. After Stoney reached out to me just recently about, about Charlie Martin, um, of course, I reached out to um, the chief deputy in White County who was a GBI that worked on that case. Bob Ingram. Yeah, Bob. I reached out to Bob because I don't have any records at the sheriff's office about Charlie's disappearance. As far as the sheriff's office having even a missing report on him, we don't have anything. I remember when it all happened. I remember when he was found. So I reached out to Bob Ingram and I reached out to some family because when he went missing, they lived in Clark County. He worked for the University of Georgia as a maintenance guy. And Bob was going to pick up the file from the GBI, and I got a message that Bob got the, the file, and I intend to meet with him. It's, it's odd, I think. You know, Stoney, there's a difference to him. Obviously, he knows his father was a murderer and, you know, has done all these horrible things. I think there's a difference to him of murdering someone and torturing someone in the way that the Durham's were. So as odd as it might sound to say, well, hey, look, he couldn't have been doing this murder because he was doing another one. He justifies that because the Durham's were so, you know, terribly tortured before they were murdered. You know, when Stoney came to me, I just really didn't know. That's why I reached out to Bob. I didn't really know which way to go with it. I didn't. So clearly not the answer that Stoney was hoping for yet. But at least Jackson County Sheriff Janice Mangum is checking on it. So where do you think this case stands now? The Durham murders? I mean, what do you think? What would you like to see happen? Given that you've provided this information and if the sheriff of Jackson County, Georgia, does close this case of Charlie Martin, that would mean saying that your father was responsible for his murder February 3rd, 1972. What would you like to see happen then? I didn't know what I would like to see until, I, until two days ago. I thought, my mother, nor Shane, or not Bob Ingram, could possibly get on the stand and discuss any of this under oath. 
they would have to commit perjury or tell them to sell. I would like to be able to challenge it. You know, first I tell you, I'll pay for the lie detector test. Hook us all up. That ain't going to happen. I don't know how to do it, Sean, but it needs to be due process of some sort. Now, you can't just take and say, Al Capone killed so-and-so. So let it be written, so to be done. You ain't Ramesses of Egypt. Sheriff can't do that. I don't think. I mean, he's done it, but, and a lot of people raise the hell about it. Why won't he prove it? Why won't he shut me up? Why won't he, why, why do they keep their head in the hole like an ostrich? Why don't they, you'll never hear Bob Ingram let Shane get to where anybody can ask him a question. You never see Phil Hudgens, I'm my mother, to be asked a question. Why? Because it's hard to keep up with a lie. And they wouldn't speak three words until they told them to sell because they're not good liars. Nobody is. Nobody's a good enough liar to be held under scrutiny to be asked questions by an intelligent man like you or many other people out there, unbiased, to ask the hard questions. I will, I'll be questioned back to back by 50. Let's do it. Why is it so important to you that your father is not associated with this particular crime? Because you've told me and, and the world at this point of so many murders that he has been involved in and responsible. So you know that I'm not trying to say that he wasn't a cold-blooded murderer. You know that I'm not trying to say he wasn't capable of anything. What I am trying to say and what I'm going to say is I refuse to let especially someone of Bob Ingram, my mother most of all, Shane, and now their comrade, the sheriff, of their moral fiber, pump themselves up like pompous asses by putting another horrible murder on my father the same way the original what Bob Ingram seen with Jim West do at the Wrens trial. My dad killed all these people, Sean, but he did not torture any of them. If you take away the Wrens, then you see a cold-blooded murder. You don't see a son of a bitch out there gleefully torturing people. You don't see it. Anything you want to say to the people not not associated with all this stuff? Just anything sure. you think about? You sure, know, the, I do, the, I do, uh, I do. I want to say so much. I, I, if I could, if I could, if I could put a color to how grateful I am, uh, I had to invent one. Uh, people have treated me so good. I have not had one person uh, mistreat me, Sean, or talk down to me. It, <sighs> You know, I thought I seen more grace that exists on earth when I met with the Wrens family. But since then, I've come to find out, Sean, there's a lot of decent people in this world. And all the people have come see me, not one redneck, loudmouth fool has been with them. They've been decent people, and I've come to learn this. Decent people are the only ones that will come see. You know, what y'all call the narcissists and the selfish people, they don't give that nobody, but they're not going to see nobody. So when people come to visit with me, Sean, I take it so serious and I enjoy it, especially when the older folks and I can listen to stuff myself. I sincerely thank every one of them. And it'd be my idea of a seventh level of heaven for me to do this the rest of my life, just meet good people and feel good about it. That's a good stuff of life.
Well said. Well, that's uh, Stoney and Xiong. Xiong. Signing off. And uh, we got a, a little Bloody Mary here and I'll toast to you. Here's the in the red clay. There we go. There we go. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Until next time. Cheers. So, you've heard Stoney sharing the information about his father's alleged role in Charles Martin's murder on February 3rd, 1972. And if this case is closed and Billy Burt is in fact implicated in that murder, then it almost certainly means that he was not present at the Durham home, as the two murders happened during the same approximate window of time, five hours away from each other. I'll report back when I know more, but what do you think? Let me know on social media at Sean Kipe Official or by visiting seankipe.com where you can find out more about all of my podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening. In the Red Clay is a production of Imperative Entertainment. It was created, written, and reported by me, Sean Kipe, and I wrote and recorded the original music score. Executive producers are Jason Hoke and Gino Falsetto. Story editor is Jason Hoke. Sound design by Shane Freeman. Cover art and design by Gina Sullivan. Season two of In the Red Clay, Durham, is a six-episode series with new episodes available every Monday. To keep up with this and my other podcasts, follow me on social media at Sean Kipe. Have questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. If you like the series, tell your friends and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.